We'd like to thank Airbnb for being the presenting sponsor of African Tech Roundup's podcast miniseries on inclusive travel and tourism, recorded at the Africa Travel Summit. Visit Airbnb.com right now to discover and book unique homes, experiences, and places all over the world. They're all waiting at Airbnb.com. I'm Andy Lemassou, and featured on this podcast is a Swedish entrepreneur who's best known for growing travel start from a profitable online travel disruptor in Scandinavia to one of the world's largest online travel agencies servicing emerging markets in Africa and the Middle East. Stick around to hear what prompted him to move his family to Cape Town in 2004 to pursue startup success. What inspired him to sell off his European business and go all in on the African dream in 2010 and what drove him to take on $40 million of investment in a round led by Amadeus in 2016. This is an independent African Tech Rounder production. The opinions expressed by me, the host, and those of my guest do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the presenting partner, Airbnb. Hi, I'm uh, Stefan Eckberg. I'm a father of four. Uh, I live in Cape Town, born in Sweden, and uh, I'm the founder of a company called Travel Start. Uh, it's a travel group that's been around for 19 years now. We started our journey in Sweden, uh, where we became market leaders, and we expanded throughout Scandinavia and then Germany. Uh, later, uh, in 2006, we opened up in South Africa and expanded throughout the region here. And uh, that's uh, a lot of challenges and a lot of fun. So welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Stefan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm curious about the jump from the developed world, as far as where your business began, to the developing world. Talk us through your thinking and, and the filter you use to determine that South Africa would be the, the smart place to start on the continent. And also, perhaps the filter you use to determine that Africa over perhaps other developing parts of the world. For me, Africa was uh, always a little bit different. So Africa for me was a love story that started in 89. Uh, I came here on vacation, traveled around the country, and uh, you know, just felt that I, at some point in my life, wanted to find a reason to, to be able to come back here and hopefully have a summer house. But Africa really crawled under my skin. And, and after we became very successful in what we do in Scandinavia, I started to talk to my wife about, you know, possibly, you know, moving down to South Africa and see that as a natural expansion. And on a holiday down here, I got restless after a few days. So I started to call around people in the industry. And uh, one of the things that I noticed was that they were very laid back about everything, about technology, about what's next. Um, you know, one of the CEOs that I tried to get hold of, I could never get hold of him. And after three, four days... His secretary admitted, oh, he's out playing golf. And I thought if the CEOs of the industry are out playing golf midweek, uh, not attending to business, it might be an opportunity to do something fresh there. So, um, so I said to my wife, um, what, do you, what do you think? Shall we move here? So, and she was more like, I've just been waiting for you to say that. And so for us, on a personal level, we felt that we wanted a change and, and we wanted a bit of an adventure. But um, I, I think more than that, I've also felt that, you know, we could do some do change in this industry here. And that was really what, what, what I was keen on exploring. So, so that's really how, how it started. And as I said in the beginning, it was really a love story because I, because I just love this place. So tell me when the economic argument for being here or expanding to the African continent, to South Africa first and other places later, when did the economics catch up to the sentiment? 
that sounds like a very, you know, clever question. I'll try to answer it my way. So we started up here. Uh, I, I, I was hoping to um, uh, be able to justify the investment of starting up here. But I'll tell you, uh, we were bleeding money like crazy for the first year. And it was all my money because we didn't have an investor. So, so we basically had to take all the profits that we made and just plunk it into this very uncertain uh, venture. And you got to remember back in those days... What year are we talking So we're talking about uh, 95. Uh, no, sorry, 2005 and 2006. And, uh, you know, there was internet was very sketchy. There was even this joke going around uh, that it was faster to send uh, uh, mail with a pigeon than with, um, than with email. And they actually did some tests to, uh, to prove that. And the pigeon won, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Super pigeon. <laughs> and and so, so, so it was very sketchy, with this whole thing with the internet... You know, nobody, you know, you know there, there was no real, uh, you know, payment connectors and stuff like that. So you really had to do everything from scratch. But for, for me, that was fine because I had done it before. You know, when we started up our inter first internet travel companies uh, back in Scandinavia in um, in 98, everything was new. So, so I, was n I was used to that. And I kind of liked that period that transition phase when you know when you, you do everything from scratch but it took us basically two years before i could see that okay you know what this is going to turn this is going to when, when when it does it's going to turn fast and so after about after about two years i knew that we had a winner it, then it was just a matter of okay how how big can it get You know. So what metrics signal this to you at the time? Well, it was basically the growth. It was the growth. It was the customer satisfaction levels. It was, um, you know, the profit per transactions, the customer acquisition costs. All those metrics were like, yay. <laughs> what were you disrupting at the time, principally, in terms of the incumbents in the space? Yeah, so it was uh, pr primarily the uh, traditional travel agencies, of, of, of course, in those days. And, uh, and, you know, we catered really for the early adopters. There was competition, but they didn't do stuff very well. Like your Dutch cousins. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I'm... Booking.com, for example. Uh, well, Booking.com actually weren't here at the time. But there were a bunch of others like LastMinute.com that did really, really well in... Uh, in Europe, not so well here. I think we had travel.com.au from Australia. I think they did well in Australia, not so well over here. And s s some local guys who did stuff, but uh, not on the same level of professionalism, I would say, that we did. So the, the CEO you described, was he in the, the, the travel business? Was he in the travel agent business? Yes, yes no, 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 no. So he, he was the CEO of a, of a GDS business. <laughs> What's GDS? Uh, so, so, so that's a, uh, you know, that's um, uh, like the Amadeus and the Sabres. And the distribution systems for air, airline content. It's, it's basically the, the system that uh, travel agents use worldwide to access and book, you know, travel information, to issue tickets and basically handle everything that comes to air, and, you know. So tell me why that CEO is probably kicking himself for not taking your call or not being available to take your call today. Well, you know, you know, there, there was a, there was a lot of stories like that. I can m mention uh, one thing. I, I had several meetings with, um, you know, a few companies where I offered them a sh shareholding in our company for simply issuing our tickets, uh, which they didn't take. And um, so I think they made a mistake when it comes to that. But um, 
in a way you can you you have to understand it as well because people want to try to defend their old businesses and of course not helping a maverick like me coming in here might sound like that makes a lot of sense but then again you never know so so i i think you know when it comes to competition especially new competition you have to be very humble and you know every time i have some young guys showing me something you know I can see that, okay, this is probably not going to work, but I also reserve the right to say this might actually kill my business completely one day. So how many markets do you currently service on the continent? So, so we have offices in, in uh, five markets, but we obviously cater for a whole bunch of other markets like Nam- Namibia, for instance. We have no office there, but we have a bit of business from there. Same thing from Zim and uh, Botswana and other places. So, How important is a presence in the context of your business? I mean... There's a side to me that reckons you should technically be available anywhere the internet is. So maybe let me into how and why that's not necessarily true. Well, the thing is, you know, I'm thinking like this. If you want to become market leader, I'm talking market leader, you know, north of 50%. I mean... uh, Of what here? North of 50% market share. If if that's what you... In which sector? Whatever sector you want to do, you know, uh, uh, I think you need local presence. You know, you can't do that uh, remotely. I mean, look, I mean, in principle, uh, Google or Facebook, they don't need representation in, in South Africa. Even Airbnb might not need representation here, but, but, but they do. You know, so I think if you, uh, you, you need, uh, I, I, I tend to say you need to drink the tap water where you, where you do your business. So you need to be close to the customer. You need to be able to touch and feel and smell them and be close to the supply as well. So, so. And, and our thinking was more that we didn't just want to scratch the surface and, and, and get a bit of business here and there. We wanted to become market leaders. So um, You achieved that? And if so, in which way? So, so in South Africa, I would say we are market leaders in the online space. There are still you know, a couple of agents, traditional, in the corporate space that are bigger than us. And, uh, but um, you know, we're eating into their market share every day. Uh, as far as online goes, you know, in the flight space, definitely we are. We have north of 50%. I think it's more like closer to 70, 80. And um, you know, we're, we're starting to do uh, more in the hotel space as well, even though uh, both, both Airbnb and uh, Booking.com and hotel hotels is you know virtually impossible to compete with but you you can always make their lives a little bit more miserable maybe and uh and more than that actually making life a little bit better for uh the local consumers and the local supply by basically trying to innovate a little bit where i sometimes find that the big guys who does an incredible job where they sometimes get a little bit too rigid in their models which not always is beneficiary to to the local supply for instance We're taking a quick breather to thank the presenting sponsor of this series, Airbnb. Can you imagine a world without travel? We certainly can't. And that's why at African Tech Roundup, we reckon that the opportunity to travel and experience everything our world has to offer should be something everyone can enjoy. Airbnb happens to think so too. They also believe that Africa's travel and tourism industry can do a lot to sustainably empower and economically elevate underserved communities, which is why they hosted the first ever Africa Travel Summit in Cape Town's Gualanga Township in 2018, where the series was recorded. Airbnb can't wait to put you onto millions of unique homes, experiences, and places all over the world. Book now at airbnb.com. And now, back to the conversation. Do you guys run a sort of back-end B2B service? And the reason I ask is I might be wrong in seeing it this way, but the sort of trend towards brands and rewards programs 
you know, when I think of insurers like Discovery, for example, and their partnerships with the like of BA and Emirates and, and Gulula.com and that kind of thing, I feel like when I think of how much I've spent through a rewards program of that nature and not on your platform, I see that as indirect competition for you. And so my question is, do you supply initiatives like that with back-end support? Is that part of your model at all or not? We, we haven't done it in the past. We've started to, um, to work a little bit more with that now, with, with uh, banks. And um, I, I'm not sure if we do anything with any insurance companies, but, but definitely with a few banks, a few retailers like PEP, etc. The question is always, is that model going to work going forward? You know, I come from in Sweden and of course we don't do stuff like that there. You know, uh, we've had a business in Turkey for a few years. I saw that banks tried to venture into travel. They pulled out after a while and, and, and same thing in insurance. I, I think in South Africa, the insurance companies and banks have been very good at locking in customer. But my question is, when everybody have the same deals, what is the advantage then to me as a customer? So we are very um, focused on trying to build a, a good brand, a consumer-focused brand that only does travel. So we're not doing banking, we're not doing any of that, but where customer wants to come back to us again and again. And we're, where we actually can disrupt it by having a very aggressive you know, supply strategy, meaning that give people deals that they wouldn't find anywhere else. Right. And so as a region, or perhaps you might want to highlight specific markets within the African continent. 80%. Get out. Really? Yeah. 20% Middle East and 80% here. Would you have predicted that in 2005? Yes. 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 I, I, I always said that our Africa business, even when we had our business uh, back in Scandinavia, I always said that you know, our Africa business will be, <clears throat> will be bigger. So give me a sense of why that was such a foregone conclusion for you at the time. And you, you have to know that a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast and be surprised by that. I've come to learn you know, late in life, unfortunately, but you only win if you're all in. So I had a decision to make, and that was, what do we do with the business going forward? And I knew that the competition was just getting you know, more and more fierce in Europe. So, so we sold off the European business, actually, to focus only in Africa. So, of course, because of that, you know, we, we, we you know, became Africa-only business to start with, and then we have ventured out into the Middle East. But, but I think it was a, it was a conscious decision. You know, we, we said, okay, we want to be uh, numero uno in Africa, and um, we need to be there. And you know, we closed down everything that we did in Scandinavia, everything, not a single employee, and you know, focused everything here recruit locally and um, do everything locally. So, and I believe that that's, that is a good concept for any industry that you're in. You know, if so you've already alluded to it, but I mean, speak to someone listening to this who thinks they can, they can succeed on the continent by remote control. And I think... Forget it. Forget it. You can't. No, that's, uh, I would say it's virtually impossible. I mean, we, we have offices you know, in Tanzania, you know, Nairobi, Lagos, Cairo, on, on this continent here. And I'll tell you, <laughs> forget it that you can do anything you know, remotely in, in Nigeria. You, know, you have to be there. You know, and um, same thing for the other place. You have, have to be there because, because things, 
things works differently in all these markets. So Africa, of course, you know that, but especially the guys listening in, to this in San Jose, they probably don't know that Africa is not a country. You know, it's a, it's a continent with, uh, I think it's 60 countries with uh, more than 60 currencies and probably, you know, 600 religions and, and um, I don't know, man, how, how many tribes. So just on the tribe thing, for instance, what we noticed in Nigeria, it's very, very important who, who runs the show there. Because if, if he or she is from the wrong tribe, you will be in trouble. And we had that problem. And uh, it was just, it, uh, we almost went bankrupt because of that, you know. And uh, so we, we needed to solve that, you know. So have you taken on VC? How have you funded growth since bootstrapping it? Which I'm assuming at some point bootstrapping had to sort of give way to formal investment. Yeah, look, I mean, we, we, we bootstrapped from day one. And... Uh, and we've been profitable since 2002 or something like that. And as I said, you know, when we started up here, it took us two years to become profitable. And we've been, we've been very profitable, being able to uh, fund everything what we wanted to do. I raised money um, now close to three years ago from Amadeus Capital in England and MTN. So we raised close to $40 million. That was, you know, to some degree for expansion. It was to some degree also for, you know, looking at what what is the next stage for the company. Because, I mean, I was a sole owner of a company and I don't think that that is um, good in a technology business like this. You know, scaling is everything and it's, it's an industry that likes consolidation. And so I wanted to try to run a consolidation play as well, where we could be the locomotive for that with our investors and you know that that is what we're executing now yeah. so it's funny because i was going to ask you sort of what does what sort of runway does 40 million get you but you don't you're not even thinking of those terms because you you didn't need the money per se yes. no 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 so that's correct so we didn't need the money uh but of course ha- having access to vcs it opens up a whole, a whole new world for me that i didn't know about before i'd read about it but i haven't been exposed to it personally when did you uh, when did you take money it was close to three years ago. So, Two things related to this. What signaled in your mind it was time to, to engage investors, number one? And two, maybe the biggest thing that's shifted in terms of your mindset as a founder, as a CEO, post-taking the money? The rationale was, as I said before, you know, some, some scaling, but also really looking for partners. Really like, you know, it was great to be, you know, I married when I was 32. It was great to be a bachelor, you know, till I was 30. Suddenly it wasn't fun to be a bachelor anymore. And um, it was the same thing with the business. I really enjoyed my autonomy. I enjoyed my freedom. And then suddenly I didn't do that. I didn't enjoy it anymore. I, I said, you know, I, either I get a partner um, or I'm out of here. And so I was really looking for that partnership. So that's been really good for me. I can bounce stuff off with people. And when they don't know the answers, they can, you know, direct me somewhere. And I feel that because of the shareholding now, we sort of, I've got 51%, they, they own 49%. It's really like a real partnership. And so that's been good for me. And I feel that I can actually, I can run faster. And that's been really good. That's been rewarding, I feel. So the final questions, because you need to take to the stage in a few, in a few minutes. So these are quick, rapid fire. Thumbs up or down for the single African air travel market? Great, 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 great. Go Can't wait, I bet. I know, that, that's great. I mean, we're talking about it all the time. I talk to people in the aviation industry. Of course, 
you know, it's awesome. It would completely change the uh, the dynamics on this continent. You know, not not only for for the travel industry, but really for for the consumers, because some of the routes within Africa are the are the are the, the most expensive routes in the world because they haven't been exposed to proper competition. So finally. Three travel trends that might not be related to air travel necessarily, but travel trends that you are onto because of your vantage point, given what you do and the intelligence you glean through your organization. Three travel trends, Africa-focused, that you are super bullish on or excited about right now. Well, that was easy. <laughs> so I, I think that um, um, I'm, I'm very bullish about the private sector opening up i uh, i've said to to many people in you know um, in leading positions in government and other that you know micro entrepreneurship if you want to call it that in a country like uh, south africa another place around africa is really a fantastic way to grow the economy and 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 you know to get the wheels um, you know spinning faster you know and, and, and an example of that is so i went to paris a couple of years ago and um, there was this uh, uh, a guy he, he he ran this sidecar business do you know what a sidecar is yeah. I do it's a motorcycle with a little thing in the side exactly and so uh, so I took my wife and my girls out and uh, it was a lovely day and it was like the highlight of the of the vacation and um, and I started to ask him you know what's what's your story so he was my age you know north of 50 and, and he said well you know I've been a you know advertising executive my whole life and he said I came to office one day after I turned 50 and I said you know if I do this, you know, one more year, I'm going to, I'd rather die. And so he uh, took some time off and asked himself, what do I love doing? He said, I love being outside and I love bikes. So he, he, he bought a sidecar and, um, uh, you know, just put up some random stuff on TripAdvisor. And he, I think when we met him, he had seven uh, sidecars, you know, and quite thriving, busy all the time. And he said, I've never been this happy in my life. And I think that is what I would love to see here. I would love to see that around the continent. So that whole movement and what... What's the democratization of travel and, yes. and tourism? I, I, I tell you, I am super excited about that because people will start to see something different you know, when they come to South Africa. And I think the fact that Airbnb put this conference here in Langa also sends a strong signal. Uh, I haven't talked to them, but I think that that's what they wanted to do as well. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, That's one, but I think it's a solid one. I'll have to save the other two things you're excited about for the next time you're on the show. Thank you so much, uh, Stefan Ekberg of Travel Start. Okay, thanks, Andila.